You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. Do you spend hours creating your rotors and then spend days constantly adjusting them? We have the solution. At Staff Savvy, we specialise in shift schedules and timesheet solutions for visitor attractions. Easily manage multiple complex teams of permanent, casual, freelance and volunteer staff across different locations and disciplines. With fast communication features, automatic compliance tools, training management and simple timesheet tools, Staff Savvy has been used and trusted by organisations such as V&A Dundee, the South Bank Centre and the Royal Albert Hall with great cost-saving benefits. Visit us at staffsavvy.com forward slash brown sign project to learn more and schedule a demo of our magic rotor button. Hello and welcome to the Brown Sign Project, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the tourism and attractions industry, talking to inspiring professionals about their careers. I'm Carlton Gadgetal. And I'm Carly Strawn. In this episode of the Brown Sign Project, we've got a really great conversation with Alistair Otto. He's the Commercial Operations Director for the Science Museum Group. And Alistair's going to be sharing his journey from Oldham Athletic, of all places, to the Science Museum via Wembley Stadium and demonstrating the importance of knowing why the small stuff works to make sure those big projects really happen. Alistair gives us some great tips on continuous personal development and how it might be worth getting another language. Before we have a chat with Alistair, we would like to take the opportunity to thank our season sponsors, Staff Salary and Stephen Spencer and Associates. Hello, Carly. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank awesome. you. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, we've got another podcast, another amazing guest on our show today. And I would like to introduce you to Alistair. Alistair, hello. Hey, Carlton. Hey, Carly. Hi. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for joining us today. And we're going to be talking about careers, kind of your career uh, um, in particular, and how you got to what, you, what you've what done. Um, mm. So yes, let's start with you tell us just a little bit about you um before we start with our questions yeah so i'm i'm alistair otto i'm currently the associate commercial director at the science museum group um so i lead the team there which cuts across all our sort of commercial operations across five vista facing um museums plus also you know the extended work that we do outside of the four walls of our sites uh, which is around our our brand and leveraging that so yeah there's uh, quite a lot that's included in my remit and my role and uh, yeah quite a large team which uh, which I lead. Excellent and how long have you been in that role? <laughs> Doing this role uh, since September 2019 uh, but I'm actually I think yesterday I um it was my eighth year. I'm starting my, I've done eight years at the Science Museum Group. So this is my third role at the group. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Eight yeah, years. Congrats. It's amazing. Yeah, it's flown by. It's flown by. No, time flies. Absolutely. So um, as we normally do, we're going to do some icebreakers um, with you. So I'm going to let Carly take over with that. Yeah. And she's going to ask you a lovely question. So um, our icebreaker for this series is the same for everybody, but it's a question that we we always like asking. So we think it tells people a lot about the, the person that we're interviewing. So um, when you were a child, what job did you want to do? And I think probably managing the science museum, you know, in general, or working in the science museum <laughs> is a, probably a dream for quite a lot of kids, I would think. But uh, <laughs> what was yours? 
Yeah, well, so when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional footballer. That's what I wanted to do. And I got quite close to actually achieving that dream. And I guess to some extent I did. So I was, yeah, quite a talented footballer as a um, as a child. And at the age of 11, having played a lot of junior football, uh, I got scouted uh, for a team which was very local to me, uh, Oldham Athletic, uh, who at the time were in the Premier League. So oh, they were competing with... To, wow. I have to tell you, Alistair, my husband is an Oldham Athletic fan. Well, there so, you go. He may have heard of me about 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean, he might also be currently their only fan. But... <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, they've followed on tough times. Um, it's not gone the way. But yeah, I um, I joined their, what was known then as their centre of excellence as an 11 year old. And I went through uh, through their age groups all the way up to 16 when I got um, offered a contract and apprenticeship for two years. So I left home at 16 and went to live. Uh, you know, sort of 10, 15 miles from home because I grew up in Stockport, uh, just uh, outside of Manchester. Uh, and yeah, I um, lived, you know, with a with another family uh, for two years, uh, along with it was 12 of the lads in my cohort, all with different families living in the Oldham area um, with that ultimate aim of wanting to sign a professional contract. So, yeah, that was what I wanted to do. Um, didn't quite get there. Uh, I wasn't good wow. enough. And I've come to accept that, uh, that I wasn't good enough, but I had, I had a great journey, um, getting, you know, through to, to that point. And then I, you know, my football career then sort of my sports career continued a little bit thereafter, uh, as I moved on to university and I continued to play and train. I did a mixed, um, sort of approach to the first couple of years at university down at the university of Bath. And then, um, through that, I played semi-professional football there and then went on to, play futsal which for those who are familiar with football is a a version of five-a-side as we would know it in the UK but I went to play on uh, went on to play for England playing that as well so yeah I had, oh, wow. uh, had a good run at um at playing football well you you get to be our first professional footballer turned tourism so <laughs> I think that's an achievement yes, there are there are there aren't many of us I have to say <laughs> I, I haven't come across many of the people who've who've gone from that work you know you know that I got paid doing that you know I mean it's phenomenal wow. that I got paid yeah. for doing that at the time and um and yeah and where I am now it's uh, such a long way from, from you know from where I'd ever been and I, and I must admit I when I first got the opportunity to interview at the science museum I'd never visited so I had, you know the week before Dan I went to visit that's because I grew up in the north and actually my museum that wow. I went to was the Museum of Science and Industry, which is a part of the Science Museum group. Um, so I've got very fond memories of visiting that particular site. But I think my family did what a lot of people do, which is a rite of passage, seemingly, which is to when you go to London, you go to the Natural History Museum, you know, and you go and see all the um, all the dinosaurs and all the exhibits they've got there. I wish I'd gone to the Science Museum as a kid. Um, I wish I had because, um, you know, it's. It, it's great you know the the uh, the range of galleries and experiences uh in you know in in the building is just is just fantastic and very inspiring um so yeah that was uh, that was my sort of uh, first sort of relationship with the science museum was uh, was when i've you know just before i got an interview which is a bit you know perhaps alarming to some people but oh it just I, never... I think that's a common <laughs> quite a common thread <laughs> people going to workplaces they've never actually visited yeah absolutely that should be another icebreaker question um so you kind of touched on it there um in terms of kind of the qualifications that you have 
they're obviously very different to, to what you do today by the sounds of it. Um, do you like what do you think about those qualifications now? And do you think you bring some of that still to your current role? Were they for better, for worse? Like how did you how do you think about those qualifications in terms of your current role? So so at university, I studied sports professional coaching and education, which is very much an education-led degree about how you coach people and the focus was sport. So I guess I'm using elements of that in terms of what I learned there, in terms of my role, you know, as a manager and as a leader. Um, there's certain elements of that which you're drawing on but I don't think there is sort of one qualification that is going to get you you know to do what exactly what you want to do actually my qualification is a range of experiences across different venues and you know the stuff that I've done in, throughout my career which has sort of given me the platform that I now have the the one area I think that has made a difference for me throughout my career has been around the qualification that I got about 10 years ago which was a, um, a general health and safety qualification. Um, and that was a requirement for the role. Uh, if, I wanted, if I wanted to get a role at Wembley Stadium, which I eventually did, I, um, you know, I became an event manager there and did four and a half years at the stadium, running the big events there. Um, that was a mandatory qualification they needed for their event managers because it's quite a complex building. It was very litigious in terms of the council's approach to managing that venue. Lots of eyes on it. You needed to know what you were talking about. Um, that has helped me over the last 10 years in my career because ultimately, you know, in any venue that you're working in, safety has to be the number one priority. Um, and you know, being able to write a good risk assessment, um, work on you know various elements of you know procedures and protocols, and having that understanding of safety has has really helped me. I think in in the venue management roles that I've had. So your your kind mm -hmm. of love of football took you to Wembley, and then for, was that kind of where you got bitten with the bug? Did you did have you worked in attractions ever since? So yeah, how I got from that point of sort of leaving university. So actually, at the point of where I was just about to leave university, I thought I was going to go and be a PE teacher. That was the way that I was going to go okay. and try and maintain some sort of you know a role in football to some extent, coaching or something like that. Play continuing to play for a number of years. Um, however, there was a small um, section on our course which was called event management, and that gave me a bit of a bug and there was a local company down in Bath that came in and did a presentation about what they do and I just thought that's quite sexy I'd quite like to do that um, Steph who came and, did, came and did the presentation she eventually became my boss she offered me a role so I went and worked for them I basically just spe speculated I sent my CV in it didn't have much on it I'd done a couple of things at university around events and I just you know sent, gave them my CV and said look if you've got anything going then I'd be interested and they get, I remember vividly receiving a call in the library at university, having to, you know, run outside to take the call and realised, you know, there was an opportunity and did I want it? So I'd signed up to go and do my PGCE. And then they said, do you want to go and do this job? And I just thought, you know what, I'm probably not going to get this opportunity again. I could come back to teaching. So I went, yes. So having graduated with a first class honours, which I thought, obviously, when you think you're in university, you think, you, you know, that takes you somewhere, that investment that you've put in, it's going to you know, lead to somewhere, you know, from the outset and give you a great platform. I actually found myself that summer with a paintbrush in my hand on a golf course, going around painting the white stakes that sort of separate the spectators from 
the players. That is a very, very important job, though. Well, it has to be done. It has to be done. (laughs) Yeah, someone's got to do it, right? Someone's got to do it. And there were some other aspects of some volunteer management, um, small bits and pieces that they basically, you know, I was essentially just, you know, a very junior member of this very small company that were running quite significant events. Golf was one of those sectors that they worked in. And I basically then grew in that uh, capacity in that business there for over two and a half years. The great thing they did with that small business was um, give you a chance to do lots of different things. So I cut my teeth in events across a whole range of things, whether that was building marquees, um, it was volunteer management, it was sponsorship delivery. um, I did marketing. I had no experience in marketing. And then I was, um, after a year in the business, I was doing the marketing for the world snooker events at the time working with people like jimmy white i put a snooker table in harrods once to promote the um the uh, the masters snooker and we had one of the main players and jimmy white down there doing an exhibition there's just loads of things that i got myself into with that business which was great and it also allowed me to travel the world i followed the sun around the world apart from to go to sheffield to do the snooker every now and then Uh, but i went to south africa and i'd spent six or eight weeks down there sort of you know you turn up at this golf course there'd be nothing there and then you know but you're bringing you know everything with you to then create this metropolis as you know as i call it around these greenfield sites to make it all into a you know a high class sporting venue that is then broadcast around the world but then I, I did the cricket world cup out in jamaica um i think it was 2007 i think that one and i just saw lots of other event professionals who had moved from say sydney and the olympic games had gone to the greek um the 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 athens olympic games i thought i'm not sure i want to be on that bandwagon moving around those big big events because that was the next logical step for me having you know built up a profile of doing some of these mid-range sports events i thought now i want to try and put down some roots and a bit of a focus and that's when i thought could i use my what i'd learned over the last two and a half years in sports uh in an events and try and combine the two and ideally something in football would be great but you can't just go and knock on the FA's door and say, excuse me, can I, can I, have you got a job? Or you can try, you can certainly try, but your, your likelihood of, you know, of them opening that door is probably pretty slim. So I made a strategic move. I saw an advert for a company who um, do a lot of the pre-match and post-match celebrations that are all managed at the stadiums. So when the teams are presented to the Royals or that big sort of showcase stuff you do on the pitch. Um, and I went and worked for them because that was, they were an agency who worked for the FA. That in time got me working in venues and stuff like that. And I went from there and it was a huge leap. And I've got a huge number of people to thank for sort of giving me the opportunities in every role that I've got, you know, to give me an opportunity. But a huge thanks to the guys at Wembley who said, yeah, come and join us because I went to work in the biggest venue in the country from zero stadium event management experience. That's incredible. Um, Yeah. I I look back at it now, you know, very lucky to be given that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess the the range of experience that I had in you know, that first company I had 12 full time employees. The second company had four. I had you know, done lots of things in those yeah. organizations. And I, I think, think that's something yeah. that is really useful, you know, yeah. when you're starting out in your career, being able to do lots of small things to gain that experience. Yeah, I think that's really key is that, you know, you say about like, you know, it, it doesn't feel like a good use of your degree necessarily to be standing and, and painting you know, things mm. in, the, in the golf course. But if that gives you the opportunity to learn and if that gives you the opportunity to get involved in lots of things, that involvement sometimes opens doors that you maybe weren't prepared for, I think. That's really useful. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've taken from that experience was the managing director of that 
company from the outset was like, you know, if you're going to manage a big event and, a, you know, one of our big portfolios and our clients, you need to know how the small things work. And you need to have a good understanding of that. And I've tried to take that forward into the roles that I've taken on today when I've moved uh, into different roles is, you know, is to work alongside the teams to try and get a sense of what they do and how they you know, what their work looks like and, and to get to know them so that I have an understanding when someone asks me a question I can answer it with some authority or know who to go to to get that answer about how things work so you know being close to you know what happens on a day-to-day basis and how stuff comes together is you know was something that I've taken forward and I you know intend to continue to do moving forward that's a, that's amazing it's just it's just so nice just to kind of hear um, even you like thanking everyone kind of at, at Wembley to give you that opportunity from having no kind of experience and then having people behind you and believing in you and then they're just like, building you up building you up building you up building you up and it's just getting that opportunity and that's a lot of our listeners are kind of like where do I get that from where do I get that from it will come you just have to kind of network and meet people um, yeah absolutely I whilst I was given the opportunity at Wembley I'd got to know that team quite well with the work that I'd done there and that network I'd built up you know when I was doing you know the big presentations on the pitch and this big you know this pre-match stuff you know the relationships and how you present yourself to people like the council so what many people don't know is you know you have to rehearse everything before it all sort of takes place at these big events and you have to practice the pyrotechnics and making sure it's not going to you know sort of end up on someone's lap and it stays in the pitch there's all this huge amount of work that goes in in the lead up to that big event and I'd showcased who I was and what I was about so I'd sort of had that sort of some of those elements around a job interview where you're trying to make a judgment perhaps over an hour actually they'd seen me over a couple of years sort of working at the venue and doing what I do so they had a sense of who I was so I think, yeah, if you can try and showcase, you know, yourself to people before, you know, a job interview, it's a re- that's a really good opportunity. Like you say, network, it's a networking um, and, you know, going to speak to people, having a coffee with people, just trying to, you know, uh, engage with people give, will give you that head start for when, you know, that CV lands on someone's desk and your application is in. That is some great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Every journey a visitor takes through your attraction should immerse them in your values and heritage and leave them wanting more. Stephen Spencer and Associates are a team of highly experienced tourism and retail aficionados who will help you develop a sixth sense in order to maximise every opportunity. We're here to help you build and engage your team to own and enhance your visitor experience. Above all, we're here to help you increase your profitability in these challenging times because people become engaged team members and loyal customers when they love your attraction as much as you do. You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. So I'm going to ask you a really big question now. Um, And the question is, um, what is your why? Like, why do you do what you do? Like, what motivates you to do that? Because you've got so much experience in kind of very varied areas. I think my my why is I really like the smile on other people's faces when they're having a great time and seeing what other people get out of your of the work that you do is really rewarding. Um, So I've always sort of had this. I guess in the roles that I've taken, a sort of a behind the scenes sort of role that, you know, but the work that you're developing and delivering with your teams ultimately has that front end, um, you know, it lands with someone. So, you know, at Wembley, 
it was, um, you know, people thought, oh, great, the game's kicked off and my job was just to sit there and watch the game. No, no, no. There was a lot of work that was happening behind the scenes that meant everything else around that event continued. Um, and at the Science Museum Group, um, you know, the work that we do behind the scenes uh, and, the, you know, the improvements that we're looking to make, the new attractions and initiatives and delivering on that commercial stuff ultimately has an end result. And the focus, you know, for us is, for me, you know, my department is definitely about profitability, but it's also about that bigger impact that we can have on, on people's lives. Um, and one of the best stories that I've got that I share with my team on a regular basis to remind us, you know, of, you know, why we do what we do. Um, we had a little girl who came to uh, London to the Science Museum. She was about six years old, and this was a number of years ago. I'd, great to, I, I'd be delighted to see where she is right now. Uh, it'd be great to get back in touch with her. But her mum wrote to her after a visit to the Science Museum, and she'd done a number of different activities. She'd been in Wonder Lab, which is our interactive gallery. She wrote to us with a very simple story that her daughter arrived wanting to grow up to be a princess, but left wanting to be an astronaut. And sort of knowing that that the impact of the work that your team are doing can have you know can can land with someone like that. So I think it's yeah. My why is you know I go I get up out of bed in the morning because I know other people are going to benefit from the stuff that the work that I do. And I think that's where I will always want to sort of place myself. That's that's my why. Excellent. Um, you can also be a princess astronaut, just if in case any children are listening. There's no there's no rules. That's no, 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 there's no rules. Um, uh, yeah, and, and there's other great stories. You know, we've got people who will, you know, they visited us, you know, for year on year on year, and now they're off to, you know, do physics or something at GCSE or A-level, something like that. And you can just start to see those themes coming through from the from the work that we that we do. So, yeah, that's um, yeah. it gives you that buzz and know that you're making a difference, I guess, to people's lives. Um, and I think you've probably just answered this, but what is the favourite part of your job? Like, what what's the part that when you've done it that day, you go home and you sort of have a little smile to yourself about it? Um, getting that great feedback, um, which is very tangible, that you can start to share with your team. That is that is great. I think one of the things that I've always liked about the roles that I've done is that there's I've always had to keep a lot of plates spinning, so to speak. There's always been very varied about the types of things that I am doing. And I think I've enjoyed that. I think it's probably why I quite enjoyed school as well was because, you know, there's lots of different activities that you were getting into or different lessons. It was never the same day in, day out. And, you know, look, I did have those mundane jobs, um, you know, down as, um, you know, when you're sort of first starting out. Um, you know, working in a warehouse and, you know, picking items and packing them all day, you know, I've, I've done all that kind of stuff. And I guess I've just been, I've had that, that inner drive just to want to be able to have a, yeah, a role, which is quite varied and, you know, no, no two days are the same. You never know what's coming around the corner. Um, and, you know, being able to respond to all of that kind of stuff is, is great. Yeah. I think me and Kylie definitely can like, um, relate to have spinning plates and work in different attractions and a lot of our listeners potentially will be going yes i do the same thing mm. um so that kind of leads me over to the, this next question um and that is and um, what is the biggest challenge that you're facing in your role at the moment i guess you know look post pandemic and it's uh, you know we've, we've still got a long way to go as an organization uh, we've only just reopened for seven days a week we you know made a difficult decision to close down our sites and only operate for five days a week um so you know we're still on that rebuilding phase and that's still the biggest challenge actually how do we um get back to those 
five million visitors that we used to have across the group. Um, what does that look like? What does our offer look like and how are we going to respond to that? And I think certainly as we you know, we're heading into some uncertain economic winds, how we're sort of positioning ourselves uh, for that right across all the, the streams of work uh, that we do. And that there's been some really great sort of green shoots um, over the last six, 12 months of stuff starting to bounce back and do really well. It's how do we maintain that? How do we keep that going when there is that uncertainty, uh, you know, around, you know, how much people are willing to spend, how often they're going to come out, are people going to be visiting the UK in the numbers that we we hope they would. So I think that's probably the, the biggest challenge. And my focus is, you know, constantly having to shift between what's happening in the next six weeks, the next six months and the next sort of six years for the, you know, for the organisation uh, and the team that I lead. So, you know, those challenges shift day in, day out as well. Uh, and it's a constant moving feast at the moment as we as we respond to uh, to all of this. Um, I think that balancing act can be quite difficult. Like you say, sometimes you're thinking six minutes time. <laughs> sometimes you're thinking six, you know, six hours, six years, whatever it might be. Is that is in a, in and of itself a challenge? Is kind of you might already be thinking about Christmas or next summer, and someone in front of you wants to you know to know where the toilets are. <laughs> yeah kind of balancing those things together i think is, is always a, a challenge yeah absolutely and it's a um you know you talk about sort of spinning plates it's being able to recognize where those important aspects are and where you need to be able to spend your time where you can get your team to spend you know the time and delegate some of that and putting the trust in them to to keep an eye on those sorts of things whilst also sort of managing those expectations upwards as well and you know making sure that you know the the exec group um you know understand what's happening and where things are going uh, and what that might look like so we can start to try you know start to plan for that great thank you so much for that so i need some top tips from you if that's okay so i'm looking for free top tips for working in the tourist attraction industry uh, for our listeners so what can you share um i think one of the biggest things is about uh, sort of being personable and relatable and being able to get on with people you know, whether that is the visitor who stood in front of you, who's asking you, what can I do? Uh, and being able to, you know, inspire them and give them a sense of what they could expect from a visit. Um, it's about the team in terms of, you know, when you, you know, how do you work with people within your team? And obviously for me, having been involved in, you know, high level sport, that team was a big thing. How does everybody play their role? Um, and being able to engage with everybody on that. So I think that sort of, that investment in people by yourself is a really important part of and then this is obviously just doesn't cut across the attraction sector whatever you know uh, sector you are you know, you're working in you know being able to work with people and get stuff done through people is a really really important skill um i think i've i've still got more to do on that i think i'm only just start you know getting going as well in some of this in terms of my own experience and there's you know there's, there's definitely more that i can i can do uh, in this area and you know i think the having you know read quite a bit on and continued my own learning journeys of the the seven habits of highly effective leaders was one of those books that stood out to me sort of 10 plus years ago and that notion about the emotional bank account and how much you know do you put into a relationship with someone and how much can you get out of that and you'll you'll you know you'll get out as much as you can you put in and how do you keep topping up that relationship and uh, adding to that so i've always been uh, particularly conscious of that um I think it's also about role modeling as well. So 
what I've always tried to do in the roles that I've undertaken is look at the person who's sort of above me or that that cohort of leaders who may be above me or management team above me and sort of trying to say, well, what are they doing well? What do I think they could do differently? So what do I have to do in order to respond to that, you know, to try and make that next step? And I think that is also something if you're looking to move up the chain, the ladder, you know, within the attraction sector, you know, we've still got, I think, in most attractions, quite a hierarchical structure. And therefore, you know, those opportunities are smaller, the higher up you go in terms of, you know, where you might be able to lend your expertise. So really being able to understand what role you want to might move into next, what skills you're missing, what's that person doing really well that you might need to be able to do really well and how do you plug that gap? Um, and, and the other one that I guess sort of lends itself to some of that is that just that constant learning, um, you know, what attractions are you going to? What have you learned when you've been there? Having, you know, that sort of critical eye on things. What could be better, you know, from any service experience that you've, you know, you undertake? How would how would you improve things? That eye for sort of that innovation, creativity bit. How, how much better could this be? And constantly looking at that and also then, you know, topping it up with your own sort of formal and informal learning. Um, you know, I've always enjoyed a book on the train into work, but invariably it's a nonfiction but you won't find me on holiday with a, um, you know, some sort of thriller. You'll find me with a uh, with a book that you know has just been released by someone who I, you know, really quite interesting in terms of what that might bring to my own, you know, sense of perspective, usually on some sort of business topic. Um, so I think that's important. And obviously, there's the formal side of things you've got to keep focused on, uh, the formal side of things, whether that's topping up, you know, your knowledge on a particular subject if that's where you know you think it's needed. Yeah, I always remember. Um when I worked in a role before and like the first time as a junior sort of manager that I got to go and actually do a visit to another site that was paid for thinking, God, I get to have a day out, you know, mm. <laughs> and, and knowing that I was going to go and learn something, but I think you could take those things for granted. You sort of, you know, you have a bit of a busman's holiday, you walk around and, but actually the stuff that you're taking in, the things that you're taking in are, are vitally important. You can't do this in a vacuum. You have to go out and see what other people are doing, definitely. Yeah, that reference point of, you know, what are others doing and yeah. uh, how, what does that look like? The other thing that I probably should mention is that I've, I think for anybody, again, and, and this probably cuts across any sector, any role, um, when that door is open, try and make sure you march in and show them who you are. And I've been able to do that on a couple of, you know, in terms of roles. So that I did, again, going back to Wembley, when I was given my first event, I made sure that I really took the lead on that and, you know, sort of made an impression. But particularly the Science Museum group, you know, I, again, I didn't, I went into that museum, not really, never worked in a museum before, but I wanted to sort of look for those opportunities where I could really make a bit of a great first impression across a number of people. And that included sort of opening up the IMAX at the Science Museum for sort of blockbuster films, which we did. Um, they'd never been able to find a solution to manage the corporate higher evening events and also having 400 people in the IMAX watching a blockbuster film. And I managed to come up with a solution around that about how both could coexist. And we did Interstellar in the first year when I was there. And then we rolled on to do Star Wars a couple of years later. And it sort of took off at that point in terms of the, the opportunities that presents us um, financially, uh, which is great. So looking for those, but, you know, when the door opens, sort of making a charge and, uh, and letting people know, you know, who you are and what you're about. Um, so you can, mm you know, show people, you know, what skills and attributes you've got 
and not being af- afraid, you know, to, to fail, you know, when you march through that door, you might not get it right first time, but at least you're showing people that you've got some, you know, something behind you and you want to make a, want to make a difference. Yeah. And I think you said something interesting, right. Um, back at the beginning as well, it kind of links to that is sometimes you're not even sure that the door is really open <laughs> and, you know, kind of taking the opportunity to think, actually I can kind of see an opportunity and maybe I'll get a knockback if I put my hand up and say I'm interested maybe that you know maybe I have misread the situation there's not a job there but actually sometimes it, it can be the thing that finds you a job that sets you on that path as well so not being afraid to sometimes get a bit of a knockback I think is, is yeah. really good advice um which brings me to so advice for your younger self you've already given us top tips but what would you like to tell kind of that young footballer Alistair that uh, he maybe needs to know to get into where you are today. I should have practiced more and then I would have been a professional footballer. <laughs> <laughs> we could um, all be sitting in your mansion, right? Ah, now. Yes. Alistair, what are there we doing? Know. I know, I know. Went all wrong. Went all wrong. Yeah, my younger self. I think I've got quite a bit right. I think in terms of you know, just how things have progressed. So there's not a huge amount that I would change. I wish I'd worked abroad a bit more and I wish I'd learned languages because I think languages opens a lot more doors for you. And yes, you know, yes, you know, I speak English and so do many other countries. Um, I was certainly envious of the multi-skilled language um, attributes that a lot of colleagues at place at people like UEFA have um, just because their language skills and abilities they're able to work in sport and across the world and just you know I've got some good people I know from that sector who can you know one year they're living in France a few years later they're off to Germany they're back to London to do some stuff just uh, I wish I'd I wish I'd I wish I'd been better at languages uh, and focused on that because I think that would open more doors um, yeah I think you know kind of big shout out generally for learning languages when especially when you're younger um, I do think works wonders and and I think we get quite caught up in well everybody you know if I'm going to choose a language everybody kind of speaks English so if I choose to speak French then that's going to discount me from Spanish or German or whatever it might be but actually I think once you have the language skill generally it's easier to pick up another language so like keeping the skill alive keeping the kind of want to learn alive I think is a is a huge thing for people yeah I mean I just feel inferior you know to, <laughs> I've got I've got three people in my team in my direct reports uh you know from across Europe and the way that you know they're just able to switch from one language to another and it's just you know it's great and I wish I'd had that uh, that opportunity I think this is probably a common one that a lot of people probably hear all the time, but it's just that bit of patience that, you know, of not wanting to run before you can walk, knowing that, you know, I would advocate for, you know, like I did every sort of couple of years, just saying, where am I up to? What does this, where could this lead to? Should I stay where I am or move on? Are there new opportunities? Um, and just having that patience to, um, and to take that time rather than trying to bounce around every, you know, six months onto something new two years is probably I think in my experience about writing a role and then you start to go actually is there more for me to do or do I need to go somewhere else and move on and I think you know trying to get that timing right for anyone in their career I think is is important that's excellent advice thank you um so we are we are at the end of our questions you'll be you'll be very pleased to know I'm sure because <laughs> it's quite a grueling thing to sort of go back over and and, and think about what you know you might tell people and yourself and everything else um so 
my last question for you is where do people find you so if people want to get in touch people want to say hi um is there anything you want to give a shout out to where can we find you on social media yeah i mean linkedin is probably the best the best place to find me i'm not a prolific uh poster necessarily of uh, of content um that's the the you know that's a bit where i am uh, looking to network with with individuals and seeing what's you know keeping an eye on what's what's occurring and what's happening um and getting the ideas from um from a sense of that you know the community that i'm connected to of, of what's going on so that's probably the best place to uh, to contact me excellent i'm sure we will uh, find you on linkedin throughout that and sharing ideas uh, on there is always a, always a great place to start. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real, real pleasure. I think, like I say, you, you get the award for being our first footballer turned tourism expert. So. <laughs> Excellent. Great. Well, no, thanks for your time. It's uh, been great to talk to you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Brand Sign Project. In our next episode, we're going to be talking to Hannah Monteverde, the park manager at Bewilderwood Cheshire. Thank you again to our season sponsors, Staff Savvy and Stephen Spencer and Associates. The Brown Sound Project was edited by Paul Tyler. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter as Brown Sign Pod. Mm-hmm.